Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 5.53 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the 9th of April, 2021. This is episode 398 of Bitcoin and Zebedee and Fuse. Now with survival mode. Zebedee uh, built some, uh, well, they, they, they have this thing called the CSGO and Fuse servers. If you don't know what CSGO is, it's like it's a 20-year-old first-person shooter, dude, and it still looks really good, which is amazing considering how old it is, right? But a while back, ZBD Games uh, put in an inf- uh, what's called Infuse, where they basically infused CSGO, which is Counter-Strike Global Offensive, I think is what it stands for, uh, with the ability to have lightning the the lightning network inside the game and they've been playing around with it having tournaments mint gox is involved the whole you know that whole thing but they introduced a new mode a gameplay mode called survival mode now apparently they don't give a whole lot of information about it in in this little uh it's not really a press release it was an email that i got from them but it says that you can take sats directly from the player that you shot. If you get shot enough and you run out of Satoshis, you die. <laughs> I mean, again, like literally you get kicked out of the game. You don't even get a chance to, you don't even get a chance to respond. You're just done because your wallet is empty, right? Which is an interesting, interesting gameplay mechanic. We'll have to see how that works out when you add the following into it you can join or leave the game whenever. So I'm not exactly sure what they mean by that last point. Like, I, I mean, you, because it, if you get kicked from the server when you run out of Satoshis, if you're like at like 10 Satoshis and you just leave the game, does it allow you to refill your wallet and jump back in? Or, you know, I don't know, it's, it's really weird. But the interesting part is here that they're they're innovating over at ZBD Games, and that's that's the important part. And the fact that CS:GO Infuse uh, is becoming is becoming popular, which is a nice thing to see. Now, staying with the lightning theme here, I ran across this tweet by Michael Hawaii. <coughs> that's at Michael Hawaii on Twitter. It says. Once it's fully understood that Bitcoin is not government bannable, we're going to see $300,000 to $500,000 per coin. Once lightning yields become the risk-free rate, it's $1 million easy. And then he says something that I don't understand. Outside of HAL, no one really grasped how big this becomes. Okay, I think I kind of know what he's talking about when he says that uh, HAL grasped it. H-A-L, Hal. I think they're talking about Hal on Twitter. 
uh, because I do remember seeing a tweet, a stray tweet that I cannot find this morning talking about, well, maybe it wasn't Hal, it may have been somebody else, but the point was is that what what this person was saying yesterday is that um, why put your Bitcoin in something like, you know, BlockFi and get your, I want my 6%. And and risk getting liquidated on on you know downswings, putting locking up at least two hundred and fifty percent of your Bitcoin for whatever loan you're going to get, um, or or interest that you want to generate, whatever you know, however that's going to work, <clears throat> whatever product you choose rather. Um, he was saying instead of doing that, I'd rather support the Lightning Network and use Lightning Pool to stack sats in the lightning network and then offer those liquidity channels up at an interest rate of somewhere around 5.4%. And it dawned on me that if you were to do that, because the, the pool, lightning pool marketplace, or I, I think it's just lightning pool marketplace, that's what they do. Basically, it's like you can build, you can, you can enter into an auction to bid to provide a liquidity channel to somebody who needs ingoing or outgoing liquidity. And they bid on a percentage rate to be able to honestly, you know, basically take a loan of your Satoshis, but it's on the lightning network. It's not, it's not straight up Bitcoin, like going to BlockFi or Unchained Capital or one of these other places that offer this kind of service. And it dawned on me that there's no potential that you can get liquidated. It's a risk-free rate because like, let's say that I provide, let's say that I put in one Bitcoin to like block five and I get them a 6% and then I get like the price swing so low that I don't have any more Bitcoin to, to pump into that to save my liquidity or to save my Bitcoin. Well, that Bitcoin gets liquidated. I'm just done. I've lost, I've lost my Bitcoin because I decided to take a loan or, or try to get some interest off of it in some way, shape, form, fashion or another. <clears throat> But if it's in liquid, or not liquid, if it's in um, if it's in the Lightning Network, well, the price swing doesn't matter whether it's going up or down. I may not. I mean, even if the price is going up, it, it does. Clearly, that never matters on on any occasion. But if the price starts swinging low, nobody nobody can actually grab my that channel of satoshis that that I provided for liquidity, and somebody's paying an interest rate on it. I can swing down. We could swing down to like 75% and my, that channel is not going anywhere. It's still providing liquidity and it's still providing liquidity at an interest rate. It may, I may not be getting all that much out of it, but you know, it doesn't matter because I, I didn't get liquidated. And the more I thought about it, the more it makes a whole shit ton of sense to just instead of this 6% support the lightning network. Go to LN, I think it's called LN Marketplace. <clears throat> if, if LN Marketplace doesn't get you uh, what you want on a DuckDuckGo search or something, try LN Pool. Um, that, that'll probably get you where you're going. It, but in either event, if you are thinking about using your Bitcoin as leverage to gain interest rate, first of all, I don't recommend BlockFi or any of these other products that are, that are going on because if you get into a forced liquidation situation, you're hosed. But that's bad. Nobody wants that. 
I don't like products that offer to put you in a situation where you're going to lose your Bitcoin. This one is worth examining. The, the Lightning Pool, Lightning Network Marketplace, that type of thing. <clears throat> I'm not saying jump in. I'm saying it's worth the read. It's worth the research. So just, you know, think about it, all right? Because at the same time, you're supporting the Lightning Network. Now, speaking of the Lightning Network, uh, there's this newsletter from Lightning Labs. Um, <clears throat> and I want to talk to, talk to you about this a little bit. We recently launched Lightning Bulb, a list of open research questions and experimental ideas for the Lightning developer community to build upon Bitcoin. We hope these questions will inspire the community and help ignite new projects and use cases. Here are a few of our favorite ideas. Social sats, streaming payments for content creators. This is going to talk about Sphinx Chat and Breeze, but a couple of, you know, kind of dives into a little bit some other things. Podcasting is the first form of media to adopt streaming payments over Lightning, but they most certainly won't be the last. Streamers on Twitch, YouTube, and other creator-focused platforms will soon be accepting streaming payments directly from their audience over the Lightning Network, and developers will build those tools. We suggest static QR codes, the ability for streamers to get notified when a payment has been received, and to focus on enabling audience engagement, who's ready to stream sats to their favorite Fortnite gamer. Okay, there you go. This is, this is, that's really important because the first iteration out of the gate was due to Adam Curry, Podcasting 2.0, and him hooking up with the guys over at Breeze, or not Breeze, Sphinx Chat was the first iteration. <clears throat> and then Breeze jumps in the game. And there's one other one that's a, a straight up, started out life as a, because Sphinx Chat started life as a chat app. And then Breeze started out life as, li as a wallet, and specifically a Lightning wallet. And then this, the third one, and I can't remember the name right now, started out life as a podcasting app. So from three different directions, we've got, they were easily, not easily, but they were able to, without, you know, tearing themselves apart, to add in the Lightning network. So who's next? Well, Twitch, YouTube. Now, <clears throat> the point is, is that it may not be, it may not be an issue where YouTube has to integrate Lightning Network into their own system. This looks like a parallel situation. Like maybe you put up, like they were saying, put up a static QR code in your screen while you're YouTubing. And that takes you to like be able to stream sats to that particular person's channel. And that bypasses whether or not Twitch, YouTube, and other creator-focused uh, platforms give a shit about putting in the time to directly integrate Lightning. It, were, it, it seems to me that what we're talking about is the ability to completely circumvent the platform itself, yet use that platform to stream sats and have the creator know where those sats came from or what platform is being used to consume that particular creator's content. That's big, because if all I have to do... <clears throat> is put up a QR code in my YouTube channel, which I don't really use that all that often. That's big. If I can just directly link to their, their lightning channel that is, that is purpose built to accept Satoshi's when people are streaming their stuff from YouTube, because that gives you two things that gives you information of what platform is, is performing well or not. And you're getting Satoshi's for your content. I can't, 
I cannot illustrate enough how important this particular idea is. Anyway, if you want to get to uh, that particular newsletter, go to lightninglabs.substack.com. Look for their latest issue. Now, that lightning bulb thing, <clears throat> here's a couple of examples. Let's just read the description of lightning bulb that was mentioned as the uh, platform for trying to figure out how, what to work on. The, uh, if you're just getting started building on lightning, we have a beginner's guide that will familiarize you with our LND Lightning implementations and its APIs. We will track developer progress and showcase projects here and on our social channels. These questions will be updated with input from the team and community. If you have ideas of your own you would like to propose, send us an email at hello at lightning.engineering or submit a PR directly to the GitHub repository. So lightning bulb requests for development, like here's some, some stuff that they've got up here. <clears throat> A native interface to Lightning on the web. Okay. Streaming payments on social platforms. Distributed storage and, ret and retrieval using Lightning. Let's, let's dig into a couple of uh, bullet points on that particular one. Use LSATs, a mean of authentication solely using a Lightning payment for arbitrary file storage with a periodic challenge and response, which results in streaming content <clears throat> in real time. The suggestion... A small overlay or a small overlay layer to help let people find other nodes, anything from a simple hosted bulletin board to full-blown decentralized order books. So what this is, this lightning bulb, is just a place for people to say, I've got an idea, and other people that are over there at Lightning Engineering to be able to say, we think this idea is good, we're going to post it in lightning bulb, and then give a suggestion as to possibly where to start, what the pitfalls may be, what to look out for. Looks like this thing is a pretty good resource. And there's a lot of stuff on here because continuing distributed compute with Lightning, Lightning-based metered VPN, Lightning paywall plugin, and per-use Lightning API calls. And <clears throat> what can and cannot be included in that list, what may or may not be included in that list is an idea I had a long time ago I don't want to pay $5,000 a year for a seat of my favorite 3D animation software, Houdini from SideFX software. <clears throat> what I would rather do is just crank up the software and have it uh, basically also open a or, or have it contain a Lightning wallet. And I can turn that wallet on or off depending on what I'm doing. If I'm just like retrieving a file or something, uh, then I'm not going to, you know, I don't want to pay for that. But if I want to use the tools and start building like a 3D, I don't know, 3D model of a spaceship or something like that, then all of a sudden I got to start streaming sats at a set rate that I agreed to when I opened up the software package in the first place. As I use it and, you know, I'm like making my spaceship and I'm putting on shaders and I'm rendering stuff out, <clears throat> all that stuff is streamable. My, that license... <clears throat> is like a lightning token and as long as i've got the 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 software up and i'm actually in one of the context windows doing stuff then i'm streaming but let's say i need to go to the bathroom well i don't want to close save everything close everything down go to the bathroom and then pop it back up and start the session over again i just stop using the mouse and every time i stop using the mouse or stop entering in commands in the command line interface that their particular software senses that and the sats stop streaming. <clears throat> the minute I pick up my mouse and I select a tool, the sats start streaming again. 
And you could do this with almost anything. So it's not only like, because almost everybody has gone to this thing of uh, pay by the month, <clears throat> a rental model or a subscription model. This is the same thing, but it's a choice subscription model. And it granularizes the ability to only use the software when you want. Because there's a lot of people that use it all the time. <clears throat> they might be like, like for their, the amount of sats that they stream, there might even be a marketplace where the guys that are using their seat license like 18 hours a day because they're working at a AAA game studio are paying a lot less per, you know, per minute on sat streaming than somebody like me who's basically a hobbyist on it. And I pay like 10 times more sats to be able to use it because I only use it like, you know, twice a month. Think about that, because I think that that may be where we, we, we certainly can go there with the technology that we have now. It's whether or not we can convince, you know, CTOs to start integrating this stuff into their software, because I don't want to pay $5,000 every single year for a seat license of Houdini. I would if I was a AAA game manufacturer and had a shitload of revenue coming in. But for me, and like being the hobbyist, I would just rather pay them sats by streaming it as I use their tools. Now, lightning is now done, okay? Bitcoin Magazine, we have here, uh, who is it writing this one? Nick Hoffman, professional soccer players are buying Bitcoin and it will protect their wealth. So now we have soccer players getting into the game. <clears throat> According to online reports, Galatasaray SK and Netherlands national football teams, Ryan Babel, has been shilling Bitcoin to his teammates. Oh God, it's another Russell O'Kung. <laughs> Babel has played for Ajax, Liverpool, Fulham, and others. He has played in the Champions League, Euro 2012, and the World Cup, building connections to some of the best-known and well-compensated soccer players in Europe. Babel has shared his eagerness to accumulate Bitcoin on Twitter, so it's not a stretch to imagine that the reports are accurate. If Babel and his teammates have been buying Bitcoin for the past six months, for example, they would have made some pretty hefty gains. This is as important to athletes as it is to anyone else as they need a place to store their wealth in the best possible way. Securing their wealth behind a wall of cyber hornets and a 21 million supply cap ensures it will not deteriorate, but actually increase in value. The only meaningful difference between Bitcoin plebs and pro athletes is that the latter tend to have tens to hundreds of millions of dollars more than the former with which to buy their Bitcoin. <clears throat> athletes have also been buying Bitcoin here in the U.S. with NFL player Russell Okung using Strike to get sizable portions of his $13 million contract paid to him in Bitcoin. Why? Because Bitcoin is the perfect tool to protect one's wealth. The average career length of athletes is not too long. And even though they make a lot of money, they need to protect it for the rest of their lives. Bitcoin excels at this. Dude, you spelled Bitcoin fixes this wrong, by the way. Anyway, buying Bitcoin, especially at around $60,000 prices, gives professional athletes a massive potential for upsides in gains. To put how big the gains can be in perspective, Babel reportedly earned $2.37 million signing bonus in 2019, and the price of Bitcoin rose by 87% across that year. Had he been able to allocate that bonus to BTC, he would have made more than $2 million in profits. Rich athletes are figuring out that if they want to make a lot of money, all they've got to do is accumulate Bitcoin and sit on it. I, I, I would... <clears throat> 
guys, I would actually like Nick, I would, I would modify that last sentence. They already make a lot of money. So what might've been said is if they want to save a lot of money, all they've got to do is accumulate Bitcoin and sit on it. That's it's advanced savings technology is what we're talking about people. Okay, Riot acquires Windstone with intent on operating North America's largest Bitcoin mining facility. Uh, this is, oh, I can't pronounce that name. Sorry, dude. Bitcoin Magazine again here. Bitcoin mining is a business that requires lots of power to be put toward computing. Now, in a new acquisition that significantly changes the face of the practice in North America, Bitcoin mining company Riot Blockchain has announced a contract to acquire Windstone U.S., the owner of a major hosting facility. <clears throat> the total transaction value is to be $651 million per the release, <clears throat> with $80 million to be paid in cash, with the remainder in the form of 11.8 million shares of Riot Common Stock. Windstone's facility offers 300 megawatts in developed Bitcoin mining capacity, and Riot believes this could be scaled to 450 megawatts. Riot framed this as its bid to become the biggest Bitcoin mining company in North America. Riot views Windstone as a foundational element in its strategy to become an industry-leading Bitcoin mining platform on a global scale. Upon the closing of this acquisition, Riot is expected to be the largest publicly traded Bitcoin mining and hosting company in North America as measured by total developed capacity per the release. <clears throat> Riot has shared hosting facilities in New York already, but with this planned acquisition of Windstone, it would be able to significantly grow that capacity. According to Jason Less, the CEO of Riot, the acquisition of Windstone would help to create a very clear path for the company's future growth, the release states. Quote, Riot will wholly own the largest Bitcoin mining facility in North America with very low power cost and one of the most talented development teams in the industry, end quote. He added that Windstone will serve as the foundation of Riot's Bitcoin mining operations, upon which we will drive our goal of increasing the American footprint in the global mining landscape. Now, remember, this, shit's in, this, this facility they're talking about is in Texas, by the way. So it looks like Texas is, is probably not going to escape its inevitable... Um, what, how to say it, uh, uh, victory over the United States of America. And I am hoping that Texas is the first state to secede this third world shithole. I'm sorry, guys. It's not that I'm, I love Americans, but the United States federal government, which as I have said, has not been a, a, an American institution since at least 1913, is messing things up so badly that I think what's going to have to happen is that every single state in the United States is going to have to secede and somehow or another pull all the teeth out of the existing federal government, somehow reconstitute where the bastards aren't actually there, and we try it maybe again? I don't know. It, you know, I'm sure somebody out there is saying, yeah, what's to stop it from, from the same shit happening all over again? Dude, I don't know. You know, sometimes I lose sometimes I lose faith in the human species. And if it wasn't for Bitcoin, I'd already have been I'd probably already be somewhere in the jungles in South America just being a hermit or something. Because of shit like this. Signal is integrating a cryptocurrency and Bitcoiners are not amused. Now I did say something about this yesterday, but I like it when somebody else has a take on the same thing. This is Fab writing for BTCTimes.com. <clears throat> on Tuesday, 
privacy-focused messenger Signal published a blog post introducing a number of beta features, and among them was Signal Payments, which it describes as a new feature that enables you to send and receive privacy-focused payments. To facilitate these payments, they're going to use their own coin called Mob. Unsurprisingly, the move had many Signal users <laughs> confused, where only weeks ago, a powerful push triggered by Elon Musk tweet had brought hundreds of thousands of users to the app. The sentiment has since changed dramatically among the most vocal critics, Bitcoiners, who had quite a bit to say. In a tweet, podcast host and author Gigi referenced a Reddit post that included an analysis of the initial mobile coin white paper. According to the post, 85% of mob supply of 250 million tokens is pre-mined and are owned by one single entity with the remaining 15% offered in a private pre-sale at 80 cents each. At press time, Mob trades at around $63 on FTX. The Reddit post pointed out another possible conflict of interest in the involvement of Signal founder Moxie Marlinspike as former CTO MobileCoin. Quote, quote, bold move, especially if you are following this all up with the Bitcoin slash Lightning UX just isn't there yet. Gigi commented on the post. On the topic of privacy, Ricardo Spagni, former lead maintainer of Privacy Coin Monero, dug up a statement from the MobileCoin Foundation, which read, quote, at MobileCoin, we believe governments have a legitimate interest in regulating the economic lives of their citizens, end quote. Jesus Christ, man. <clears throat> Although it is unclear how MobileCoin's integration will affect the messenger from a regulatory standpoint, the implications have users alarmed, especially after Signal had gained popularity recently as a more privacy-conscious alternative to WhatsApp. A Twitter user who goes by the name Tim expressed their concerns as follows, quote, I feel betrayed by Signal app. I fought hard to bring my contacts over from other messaging platforms. People graciously put up with my elevator pitch and finally started to see the need after things got so ugly last year. All of that so you can bundle in a garbage ICO, end quote. Damn, burned them, bro. Much of the recent criticism is further directed at MobileCoin's claim of being a decentralized cryptocurrency, which Peter Todd heavily criticized in a Twitter thread. The cryptographer named, among other things, MobileCoin's use of the Stellar and Ripple protocols, its dependence on Amazon S3 for the distribution of blockchain data, and its reliance on Intel SGX, which prevents other developers from working on it and thus conflicts with the basic idea of, free and open, of a free and open protocol. Furthermore, voices were raised amongst the community to, impl to implement Bitcoin and make use of the Lightning Network instead, to which Moxie said his, quote, impression is that it has a little ways to go still when it comes to development and user experience. He did not specify why Signal gave priority to MobileCoin. Zap founder Jack Mallers went as far as to say, quote, using Lightning is, the, is not only the correct approach, but likely the only one when discussing whether Lightning would be ready for beta testing on the Signal app. As a second layer solution to Bitcoin, fast payments make up one of Lightning's core use cases, which is why many Bitcoiners are disappointed to see their once favorite messenger go down another path. Yeah. While many see the implementation of MobileCoin into Signal as problematic and anticipate regulatory problems in a dent in Signal's image as a privacy-focused and censorship-resistant messenger, some seem to find the idea quite appealing. Of course, 
Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong commented on the announcement that he was excited for this. That's because he's a shit coiner and all he wants to do is make sure that you lose your Bitcoin. He's not on your side, dude, and neither is Signal. But the whole pre-mine, here we go again. But this time, I mean, you thought Ethereum's pre-mine was bad at 70, 70%? Dude, this is 85% is owned by one individual or, or one entity, rather. 85%. And then they sold the remaining 15 at 80 cents. And those guys have made some serious bank. I hadn't even heard of mobile coin. And now I'm, I wish I had, had never heard of mobile coin because this is just, this is just, dude, this is a dumpster fire and it's probably going to end very badly. Um, government ban on Bitcoin would be foolish, says mom. Matthew DeSalvo is writing this one for Decrypt. Will the U.S. government ever try to ban Bitcoin? Well, it could try, but doing so would be full, foolish, according to SEC Commissioner Hester Pierce. During a Market Watch virtual panel discussion, how to invest in crypto, oh. the famously Bitcoin-friendly lawyer, affectionately also known as Crypto Mom, among the crypto faithful, reiterated her belief that the U.S. remains behind the rest of the world when it comes to regulation of digital assets. But Pierce added that with the new crypto-savvy SEC chairman, Gary Gensler, coming in, things would hopefully move in the right direction. Quote, I think we're past the point of banning Bitcoin in the United States very early on because you'd have to shut down the Internet, Pierce said. Quote, I don't know how you could ban it. You could certainly make the effort. It would be very hard to stop people from doing it, as in trading Bitcoin, she said. So I think it would be a foolish thing for the governments to try to do that. The idea of banning Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, that is making it illegal to hold such assets, is not an unrealistic process, according to some. Billionaire investor and founder at Bridgewater Associates, Ray Dalio, for example, has said on a number of occasions that government bans on the transacting of cryptocurrency are likely. One British financial advisor this year set up a petition calling for the UK government to make cryptocurrency transactions illegal. Yeah, good luck. And India is, is one country currently preparing to stop its citizens from even holding decentralized digital assets. Though, as Pierce said, in reality, this would be very difficult. Technology will likely outpace the government's attempts to limit Bitcoin use, since people will always be able to download Bitcoin wallet software, run a node, and make transactions as long as they have access to the internet. What may be more likely in the short to medium term are clearer Bitcoin regulations. Pierce added that the United States government was behind the curve regarding crypto regulation. We've seen other countries take, I would say, a more productive approach, she said. We really need to turn that around. And I'm optimistic with the new chairman coming in that a deep knowledge of these markets that is something we could do together and build a good regulatory framework, end quote. Pierce has a point. Regulation in the United States is complex, with different government bodies taking different positions on Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. When just this week, two banking bigwigs, Goldman Sachs CEO David Solomon and JP Morgan boss Jamie Dimon, called for more well-defined rules. During the interview, Pierce also said she didn't know when a Bitcoin ETF would be available in the United States. Such a product would allow investors in the U.S. to buy shares that track the price of Bitcoin, that is, invest in Bitcoin without the need to buy and store the cryptocurrency itself. Yeah, you do need to do that, by the way. Don't get, don't get led down the, the primrose path of just tracking price action through some kind of derivative instrument. 
You buy the actual asset, you hold the actual asset. It's the only way to operate safely in this space going forward, at least for the next few decades. Just be aware. Market observers have long believed that a Bitcoin ETF would act as a catalyst for a rush of institutional money to flow into the Bitcoin marketplace. The SEC, however, has repeatedly rejected applications for a Bitcoin ETF because it says, we're just too stupid. I'm sorry, they didn't really say that, but let's just end it there and we'll run the numbers. Flammable liquids moving sideways. Shiny metal rocks getting the shit knocked out of them. West Texas Intermediate is up by a scant 0.15%. It is still right under 60 bucks a barrel. <clears throat> Britain North Sea not faring any better. It's going sideways to the tune of 0.03%. $63.18 for that. Uh, natural gas, much like everything else, 0.08% to the upside. Two and a half bucks buys you a thousand cubic feet of that. Now, the shiny metal rocks not doing well at all today. Gold down by 0.6%. $1,747 will get you an ounce of that. Silver is getting pummeled to the downside by over a point. Uh, platinum is getting pummeled by uh, one and a half points. Copper is down a third of a point. Palladium is down 0.26 of a percentage point. Dow futures are up by 0.23%. S&P futures up by 0.15. NASDAQ futures floating down 0.08. And S&P mini is up 0.39. All the bond prices went down though. 30 years, 30 years down a third, 10 years down almost a quarter, five year is down 0.13. And the two year futures nearly unchanged. So there you go. Let's talk about some real money. A little bit of a price rally today, thank God. $58,524.17 is what I'm seeing. Is that my high? I don't think so. No, that's like smack dab in the middle. Where's my high? Where's my high? Where's my high? Looks like we're going to be over at Bitfinex at $58,536. 269,500 transactions were performed in the last 24 hours. That's 11,200 transactions on average per hour with 584 thousand BTC being sent over the last 24 hour period. That means that about 25,000 BTC are being sent on our, on, on average every hour. <clears throat> 2.17 BTC is the average transaction value. The median transaction value is 0.017 BTC or just under $1,000. Block times got high by almost a minute. 10 minutes, 50 seconds. I guess some people took their hash power offline. Uh, Point 0.83 BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 102.9 BTC being taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours. And there it is. A full 10% drop in hash rate brings us all the way back down to 162 exahashes per second. Yeah, I'm not worried. Your shitcoin indicator is Doge, which is hanging out at 6.2 United States pennies. You can figure out what the rest of the shitcoin field is doing from there. 45,623 transactions are waiting to onboard 87 blocks to clear. We have $1.1 trillion of market capitalization, which brings us up to 
9.68% of gold's total market cap and 33.6 ounces of gold is what you'll get if you flip a coin, of which there are 18,677,630 of in circulation right now at a Clark Moody price of 58,770. I don't know what you're smoking, pal, but I want your price action. Now, in the uh <clears throat> sorry, Excuse me, pardon me. In the Lightning Network, we have almost, we are like, we are our decimal places away from 1200 BTC in the Lightning Network, which has a, a capacity value at this time of $70.5 million, running over 10,483 nodes and has 42,221 payment channels that we know about. Percentage of the Tor capacity of the Lightning Network is holding steady at 56.9%, which is still the highest I've ever seen. And that has 682.75 BTC in the Tor side of the Lightning Network, running over 4,650 Tor-enabled Lightning nodes that we somehow know about. I don't know how we know about it, but that's gonna do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup, where we find out that Ukrainian officials backtrack on crypto wealth claims as feds promise a probe, as per a report. We have Anna Betakova, who was the author of the original uh, article that I read to you yesterday that suggested that the Ukrainian government officials as a group own almost half as much Bitcoin as MicroStrategy does. And yeah, so let's find out what the hell happened this time. This is, by the way, out of Coindesk. Ukrainian public officials who reported eye-popping numbers of Bitcoin in their property declarations might be having some regrets after the nation's anti-corruption agency said that it's going to weigh in. As Coindesk reported earlier this week, 652 public officials in Ukraine reported owning 46,351 Bitcoin worth around $2.67 billion at the recent price in their obligatory property declaration. The numbers raised some eyebrows, especially when it came to individual declarations. For example, a guy's name I can't pronounce, a member of the Nipro City Council reported owning 18,000 Bitcoin. Petro Lensky, first secretary of Ukraine's embassy in Vietnam said that he had 6,528 and Alexander Urbanski, deputy chairman of the Odessa Regional Council reporting holding 5,328 BTC. It turned out, however, those numbers should be taken with a pinch of salt. On Friday, Mishalov said he made a mistake and skipped the line with crypto in his declaration, but actually he doesn't have that much BTC. <coughs> Boating accident. <coughs> Boating accident. The admission came right after Ukraine's anti-corruption authorities took notice of the whopping numbers declared by public officials following the report by the Data Analytics Project Open Data Bot on Thursday. The head of the Office of Mandatory Full Inspections at the National Agency for the Prevention of Corruption said on his Facebook page that the agency will look into the reported holdings, quote, when checking the declaration, we will see whether the declarant really owns the specified number of crypto tokens, whether the money for it purchase uh, was really transferred, and whether the declarant can explain the origin of the money spent on the purchase of the tokens. 
Sergei Petukov wrote, adding that filing a false declaration might lead to a criminal investigation. The next day, Mishilov told Ukrainian TV channel that he actually doesn't own that much Bitcoin, but he does have some. Quote, I do have some Bitcoin, quite a lot actually, but of course, not that much. I was amending my previous declaration and didn't update that line. I wrote a letter to NAPC and you will soon see the updated declaration. <laughs> Another self-declared crypto whale, Alexander Urbanski, told the journalist that he bought Bitcoin in 2009 at the price of $1. Damn, that's some forward-looking shit right there, bro. Alex Boynovsky, the deputy minister for digital transformation of Ukraine, said public officials in Ukraine might be claiming to own large amounts of cryptocurrencies as a plausible explanation of ill-gotten income. Michael Chobanin, founder of the Ukrainian crypto exchange Kuna, told Coindesk, crypto is often used to explain why a civil servant happens to own a lot of money that they couldn't have possibly gained in a legal manner. Yes, let's bring on the money laundering shit. Quote, previously they would declare royalties from books. Now they might simply say they sold some crypto and here's how they could buy that villa in Italy, Choyaban said. He added that in practice, nobody would check such claims, so they often might be outright false. He believes 99.9% .9 of the crypto Ukrainian public officials declared this year are bogus numbers. Quote, some do hold crypto, but not that much, he added. I don't know, man. I smell a rat from like 12 different directions. Like, I almost smell a rat insofar that the Ukrainian officials are going, dude, you told people how much crypto you actually own? Were you expecting a private fucking guard? Because we, we're not going to give you one. You just put your neck out there for any idiot to come and beat you out, beat your ass with a $5 wrench. You better figure out something fast. And all of a sudden, you know, maybe we'll have some boating accidents come along. I don't know. But so we, so now we're put in a position, as usual, with media, especially journal, journalist media, that uh, we don't know what the hell's going on in Ukraine at this point. And the, the whole notion that they were going to misquote those numbers so that they could, oh, I don't know, uh, explain how they've got so much damn money, I don't know, that does not wash with me because it's pretty easy to track that shit down as far as chain analysis is concerned. I don't like chain analysis. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, yeah, you can check that shit. Okay. I mean, it's not that it's not all that difficult. And if these guys feet are held to the fire and they want to keep their position of power in the Ukrainian government, they will tell people what the, you know, they will give them a wallet address. Maybe not all of them, but enough to explain, yeah, I actually did sell this stuff. I don't know, man. For me, there's something really fishy going on with all this, but we'll have to wait and see. Maybe maybe uh, Anna Betakova will uh, keep us up to date on this. Meanwhile, Nidig raises $100 million and launches Bitcoin-powered insurance initiative. Turner Wright lays it all out for us from Cointelegraph. New York Digital Investment Group announced the completion of a growth capital funding round as well as the launch of a business initiative relating to Bitcoin. Today, the New York Digital Investment Group, or NYDIG, said it, it had secured $100 million in funding from major insurance providers, including Star Insurance, Liberty Mutual, and others, in addition to its existing strategic partnership, New York Life and Mass Mutual. 
a provider of Bitcoin-related technology and investment services, NYDIG also said it would be launching Bitcoin-powered solutions for U.S.-based life insurance annuity providers. This comes as the firm announced the addition of reinsurance company TransRe CEO Mike Sapner, who will be joining NYDIG as the global head of insurance solutions. Do you see where this is going? Do you see where the they've... NYDIG has completely hooked into the insurance uh, industry at this point. And why is that important? Because of all the investment houses in the world, of all the family offices that could ever be queried about how they do their shit, no one is better at risk management worldwide than an insurance company. Why? Because they are 100% risk-based. If they're looking at Bitcoin, you're talking about a $6 trillion industry, ladies and gentlemen. That is a 6X from where we are now with Bitcoin. Just this one industry. We don't even need to go, we don't even have to go after gold for 6X. And these guys are risk managers, like beyond everybody's capacity to understand. Even risk management people look at insurance risk managers going, Dude, that guy smokes my ass. So when they're looking at Bitcoin and and other people are saying, oh, it's too risky, it's too volatile, then why are the central leaders of the world in risk management getting into Bitcoin? Ask yourself that and the answer is going to be fucking obvious because we all know what's going to happen next. Anyway, NYDIG co-founder and CEO Robert Gutman said growth from capital introduced by Star, Liberty Mutual, and other companies would help the firm's expansion of Bitcoin into new areas of insurance. The company has raised $450 million in the last six months for Bitcoin-related business initiatives on insurance, banking, and clean energy. Quote, fiat depreciation causes inflation in fiat premiums while collapsing the purchasing power of claims, said NYDIG Executive Chair Ross Stevens. We see a brighter Bitcoin-powered future for the billions who depend upon the industry on the insurance industry every year. In February, NYDIG filed a registration statement with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission to launch a Bitcoin exchange-traded fund, and at the time of publication, the firm is reported more than $3 billion in digital assets under custody. Oh, man, dude, that's, that's just amazing. $3 billion already? They're not all that old, y'all. Anyway, so think about it this way. Instead, like you, you buy an insurance policy and it's going to pay out at, at, at $300,000. And you buy it today as a, you know, I don't know, go 21-year-old, you just... You know, you're fresh out of college at 22 or whatever, or you didn't even go to college and you land a job. They start asking you, you know, like, hey, we, we, you know, your position offers you a life insurance policy. Here's five to choose from. Pick one. And you pick like, I don't know, half a million dollar insurance policy. And you do that today. It's, it's denominated in fiat terms. So when you die 80 years from now, and I know this is a very simplistic way to look at it at insurance, but let's just say it's straight up $500,000. And that's what you're going to get as payout when you die or your spouse. And 80 years from now, what do you think that $500,000 is going to actually be worth? Now, take that same insurance policy and it's half a million dollars, but it's denoted by Bitcoin. So let's say Bitcoin is a million dollars a coin. It is 0.5 of a Bitcoin on payout. What do you think that's going to do in 80 years? And there's going to be a lot of people who will say it's going to go to zero. 
okay, if that's the case, then why are these major insurance companies getting into this? Now, I'm not suggesting that the major insurance companies are going to start writing policies with Bitcoin as, as the terms, but for them to back those policies with Bitcoin makes a hell of a lot of sense. And I don't think it's going to be too damn long before we see the first insurance policy, like a whole life or something like that, be written in terms of Bitcoin for the beneficiary. I'm just saying, it's not going to surprise me. Let's move on. Ledger's getting sued, bro. Finally, like I'm surprised it actually took this long. Crypto wallet maker Ledger faces lawsuit over that data breach cover-up. Will Gottenson's going to tell us about it from Decrypt. Customers of the cryptocurrency wallet provider Ledger are suing over a massive data breach. The initial complaint filed in the U.S. District Court for the Northern District of California alleges that Ledger and Shopify negligently allowed, recklessly ignored, and then intentionally sought to cover up the breach. Ooh, those are powerful charges. Any damages awarded to the plaintiffs would be determined at trial should the lawsuit get that far. Ledger sells hardware wallets, which are physical storage devices that let you hold crypto offline. The idea is that they're less vulnerable to attacks than crypto stored on the internet. Last July, the company announced that hackers had acquired $1 million or 1 million customer emails from its servers along with a list of associated email addresses. You know, they got a lot more than that, dude. No funds were stolen, but users say that the exposed list of customers' identities is potentially just as bad. Quote to the world of hackers, Ledger's customer list is gold, explains the complaint. It is a list of people who have converted substantial wealth into anonymized crypto assets that are transferable without a trace. Using that list, hackers can manipulate or compel those owners to make untraceable and irreversible transfers of the crypto asset into the hacker's accounts. The states of security for crypto assets are thus enormous, or stakes. Sorry, not states. Stakes. In response to Decrypt's request for comment regarding the lawsuit, Ledger General Counsel Antoine Thiebaud said the company does not comment on ongoing legal issues. Yeah, nobody does, dude. Thiebaud added... Ledger will, however, like to take this moment to remind our customers yet again, never divulge their 24 words and validate the identity of the recipient of your transaction. You are in sole and total control of access to your funds. Bullshit. Because of their fucking data breach, you are, you are, your access to your funds is now, is now compromised but only through physical contact contact with somebody who got this list and knows where you live and decides to fly there and beat your ass down with a $5 wrench. This, this, never to divulge your 24 words and validate the identity of your recipient, you are the sole and total control. That, that is a bullshit statement. Given the context of this particular situation with Ledger getting sued and the context of why they're getting sued, i.e. what data was breached because it guys it wasn't just the email addresses you put in your phone number when you bought this you put in your uh, email address yeah but they also had to ship it to you didn't they which means your home address let that sink in I'm just saying, I don't want to scare the piss out of you, but you got to understand what's going on here. This is grave. This has been a grave situation for a while. And I'm not certain exactly why we've gone this long without starting to hear about home invasions of people that are on this list. 
I'm just saying is this is a bad situation. And honestly, I don't think Ledger's going to survive this, but it'll take years or at least a year, if not two, to figure this one out. In an interview with Decrypt last year, Ledger CEO Pascal Gother said he didn't plan to compensate customers in the wake of the hack. Quote, when you have a data breach, right, of this magnitude for such a small company, we won't reimburse for a million users all those devices. That's not just, that's just not possible. It would just kill the company. Well, maybe you should die. If customers get this way, Gother may not have a choice. Okay. I don't expect Ledger to survive at all. And honestly, I'm saying it up front. Ledger is a, is a shitty product. It's shitty for a couple of reasons. First of all, it depends on Ledger Live, which is a web browser based ability for you to actually access what's on your ledger. And it's garbage. And it used to be a standalone little application that you could act, you could actually run that thing. And it was connected to the, to the web, but it wasn't connected through your web browser. When they changed it up, I started getting real. I mean, I just, the hair on the back of my neck started just creeping up. But then they started deleting support for older versions of, of uh, softwares, uh, like operating systems. What is the man in the coma supposed to do with his ledger 20 years from now when this company is gone? Well, actually, I know exactly what they do. They, they get their seed phrase and they make sure that they know their derivation path. And then they go to something like Electrum Wallet and then they figure out how to recover that, that BTC and put it into a different wallet. So all is not lost. But then the question becomes, if you had a sack of Doge on your ledger, how do you get that off? I don't know. I, don't, I actually don't give a shit. It's all bullshit. But the, I don't expect Ledger to survive. I expect to start hearing reports of $5 wrenches on previous Ledger customers at their house. And lots of, of pain and suffering is going to ensue from this. And this is why KYC, AML, and keeping customer data in any fashion for any reason, regulatory or not, is a bad, horrible terrible idea and also get a p.o box if you live in the united states at least get a p.o box get the smallest one that you can it's actually pretty damn cheap <clears throat> oh god here we go not a cheaper bitcoin bitcoin gold soars 173 percent as traders may be buying the wrong bitcoin in <laughs> william suberg's writing it for a coin telegraph a long forgotten Bitcoin hard fork has surged almost 200% in a week simply because traders are buying the wrong altcoin. Bitcoin gold, which is a ticker of BTG, a relic from the 2017 forking season, traded at $113 on April the 9th, the highest price since February 2018 after 30% daily gains as trading volumes topped $250 million. A curious contrast to an otherwise lackluster cryptocurrency market, Bitcoin gold success appears to be not wholly genuine, but also not the fault of its holders or developers. As Cointelegraph reported on Tuesday, a new Bitcoin fund from Brazilian investment bank BTG Pactual moved a step closer to launching this week after teaming up with the Winklevi, uh, the Winklevi's Gemini Exchange for Custody Management. While having absolutely nothing to do with Bitcoin gold, the biggest Brazilian investment bank does share the altcoin's ticker symbol, and the coincidence was good enough for hungry buyers. As, 
After the Gemini news broke, Bitcoin Gold saw a flurry of demand, which at the time of writing shows no sign of abating. This reaction is argued, uh, showed that the cryptocurrency industry was still very much in a nascent phase. Oh my God, this is sad. We're so early that we're so early that people buy Bitcoin Gold because there's a new fund called BTG Pactual. Podcast host Anita Posh warned Twitter users. By contrast, Bitcoin Gold announcing an actual partnership in late March did hardly anything for price action. Uh, Bitcoin Gold has nothing to do with Bitcoin or any of the other forks. Okay, don't get fooled. It's either the tickers you're looking for are BTC and XBT. If it's not one of those two tickers, don't buy it. It's pure 100% garbage. Publicly listed Me Too now holds $100 million in Bitcoin. And sadly, Ethereum, Matthew DeSalvo is the author of this piece by Decrypt.co. The company, which makes smartphones and selfie apps, said it bought over 175 Bitcoin in its latest investment. Me Too started off March by spending $22 million on Ethereum and $17.9 million on Bitcoin. A couple of weeks later, it bought an additional $28.4 million in Ethereum and $21.6 million in Bitcoin, bringing its investment up to $90 million, but it wasn't enough. As per the Me Too's cryptocurrency investment plan noted in the company's documents, a $100 million digital asset investment was always the goal. The Fusion-based company said that it was that it has invested because the board takes the view that blockchain technology has the potential to disrupt both existing financial and technology industries, similar to the manner in which mobile internet has disrupted the PC internet and many offline industries. Me Too previously said that the investment was agreed. Uh, because the company believes that cryptocurrencies have ample room for appreciation and value and that the coins would serve as an alternative to cash. So Me Too buying again Bitcoin and Ethereum. Not happy about the Ethereum buy because I just think that they're getting smoke blown up their ass by Vitalik. But, you know, Bitcoin, they're doing it again. And like, you know, they got $10 million more million to spend because they want a $100 million investment. So... We'll have to see what happens next. But they're following in Michael Saylor's footsteps of continuously announcing Bitcoin stacking and Bitcoin reaching a tipping point. Fidelity Digital Assets head says Andrew Asmakov writes this for Decrypt. According to Tom Jessup, head of Fidelity Digital Assets, Bitcoin adoption has reached a tipping point thanks to an environment of unprecedented monetary and fiscal stimulus Speaking at the Investing in Crypto virtual event series hosted by MarketWatch and Barron's, Jessup pointed to a host of reasons for the adoption of digital assets to proceed at an accelerated pace. These included near zero interest rates and easy money policies, something the U.S. Federal Reserve, as recently reaffirmed by its chairman, Jerome Powell, has committed to until the economy has recovered from the coronavirus pandemic. Quote, we're not going to get out of this stimulated environment anytime soon, Jessup said. I think we've reached a tipping point. According to Jessup, these measures, while considered necessary by the Fed, are driving investors to Bitcoin and other assets, which they see as alternatives to scant yields offered by bonds and other richly priced investment vehicles. 
<clears throat> Jessup sees the pandemic as the catalyst for this wave of institutional adoption, having contributed to an environment where we've seen unprecedented monetary and fiscal stimulus from central banks and governments. This isn't the first time that high-profile organizations have conceded that Bitcoin is set to play an important role in the global economy. Last month, multinational investment bank Citibank released a report entitled Bitcoin at the Tipping Point in which it said that the flagship currency could not only achieve mainstream adoption, but may also be considered a facilitator of future global trade. Earlier this year, BNY Mellon, the oldest bank in the United States, announced plans to store and manage Bitcoin on behalf of its clients, with Guy Hirsch, uh, U.S. Managing Director at eToro, telling Decrypt that this move feels like a tipping point in the market. Experts, however, agree that there are challenges to overcome before Bitcoin can reach true mainstream adoption, chief amongst which are its volatility and custody. Regulation of digital assets is another area that industry players are paying increased attention to. Fidelity itself recently joined forces with Square, Coinbase, and Paradigm to establish the Evil Council for Innovation. So it's actually the CCI, the Crypto Council for Innovation, and I don't trust them. I don't trust them one bit, and honestly, neither should you. The initiative is aimed at helping policymakers, regulators, and the general public to better understand the benefits of cryptocurrencies. Yeah, that sounds a lot like uh, the group that started out at, started out saying that they were going to do that and then signed a letter that they were going to change Bitcoin's protocol and we were not going to have anything to uh, say about it. And we basically told them what they could go do with it, and we won. And if these assholes pull any kind of bullshit, we're going to win again. Until you people figure out that you hold the power in your hands through your full node, then the you know these people are always going to try to do this. You've got to voice your intent to have Bitcoin stay this way through your full node. And if you're not running one, dude, spend spend the hundred and fifty bucks. Find the hundred and fifty bucks somewhere. Spin up a full node. And make sure that you always tell these people to F off every time they say that we need to increase the block size or increase the amount of blocks per minute, you know, per 10 minutes. Any of that crap, especially if they say we need to introduce tail inflation. No, no. Be toxic. Be toxic all the time. Anytime anybody says anything like this, be as harsh and toxic and just unforgiving as you possibly can. Do not give them an inch because they will take everything. Okay, so that's going to do it for the morning roundup. And you know what? We are at 61 minutes, so I'm going to go ahead and end this off with a reminder that if you want to help support me and the show, you can give me a five-star rating on uh, Apple iTunes or any, any other place, honestly, that you actually listen to this. You don't have to listen to it on Apple iTunes. If you're on you know, SoundCloud where these files are hosted, give me a, a five-star review right there or podcaster or whatever it is that you're, you're listening to. If they allow you to give me a five-star review, then please do so. I would appreciate it. Also, share, like, subscribe, do all the things, and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.